Welcome to Founder Focus, your masterclass in business building. I'm your host, Andrew Amaduri. Today, we sit down with Richie Breeze, co-founder of Omniboom. Omniboom specializes in helping businesses connect services and applications to gain a competitive advantage in a technologically centered world. In today's episode, you'll learn about a clever product adjustment that saves time and makes you more money, how to leverage your network to scale even more efficiently, and much more. Before we get started, make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Richie, welcome to today's episode. How are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Good. So you're one of the co-founders of Omniboom. Give us a rundown of what Omniboom does. Yeah, so... We are an integration platform as a service company. Uh, our main objective is to just help an organization connect all of the different applications and services that they use to kind of stay competitive or even to, um, t- to survive in today's kind of techn- technologically kind of um, assisted world uh, in business. So, you know, if it's talking about connecting uh, your web store to your warehouse or your CRM and, and you know, your marketing campaigns, we do it through our platform, uh, which is kind of different than what's out there. It's an event-driven versus a workflow-based um, product. So, yeah, we're really excited about bringing that out to market the last few years and um, seeing how people have received it. Before we dive into more about Omniboom and your journey building it, tell me a little bit about what your life looked like before starting your own business. Yeah, so before Omniboom, um, right before that part, I had just moved into independent uh, consulting as a contractor. Um, but before that, I was kind of spent my career as a software developer, uh, solutions architect from about uh, in all the areas of from uh, accounting, finance, um, and e-commerce, obviously. That's where our, our product kind of came from. So just your normal, you know, 40-hour a week. Uh, but... Also had some ideas of, uh, you know, some friends and I had some ideas of creating mobile apps and trying to see if we can create a company out of that. So I always had an interest in in making that leap at some point, but uh, never really made that point until actually when, when Chris and I founded Omniboom. What was the catalyst that spurred you to go start Omniboom? Because a lot of people, it's comfortable to get a paycheck in and have that assurance of, okay, I show up, I do my job well, I go home, life is good, I got money in the bank. It's a huge risk to go out on your own and build your own business. What motivated you to do that? At my time at, at, at um, where I was working before transitioning over to Omniboom, um, I had kind of involved myself in some of the startup communities in, in Cincinnati. Uh, they had uh, Nuco, which kind of brought in all of these uh, I guess recently successful com- uh, startups that were getting um, acquired or, or just really showing like what the benefit of, of having your own company was. And uh, when I, I had that interest and then when I left um, Trade Global, which is where I was working with Chris before, um, kind of how we signed up was I, I mentioned to him like, hey, if you ever start a company, let me know and we're, we'll build it together. And at that point he said, let's do it. And I had the confidence in him to know like, between the two of us, um, his experience, his leadership, and his um, connect connections in the in the industry, and then confidence in myself to be able to build a product, which that was the main thing I wanted to do was to 
build something, a product uh, for a business or a consumer um, that I can kind of own, you know, completely, you know, understanding what I recognize as a, a need and then all of a sudden my interpretation of the solution for that. So all those together kind of gave me the confidence to look into to transitioning. Uh, we started off a little bit, uh, you know, meeting occasionally a couple of times a week before, you know, we said, all right, this is the time to do it. We, we have an idea of what uh, we want to build. I know a product, how we're going to kind of fund this initially and then and think of it as a long-term goal of, you know, making the, the business kind of succeed. So what was your approach for determining what the perfect business was? Yeah, so we have a technical background, you know, constantly building things. Um, so we wanted to build a product. Uh, we had just recently created an omni-channel solution where we were working. Uh, at that time, it was kind of new, but still like a buzzword that was going around. I think at the time, Best Buy was probably the best model of, hey, I want to buy something online and pick up in store, or I want to... Um, buy in store A and pick it up in store B. There's about 12 different scenarios. Um, and we created a platform to quickly bring that on online for a customer. Um, just because every customer has their own kind of services. They, you know, they have different web stores, they have different warehouses and, and services they use. So there's a lot of time that was needed before then to, to kind of create, to um, kind of complete that type of project. You know, you have project managers, you have to get their resources aligned up through this product schedule. And we really wanted to bring that down into something that could be uh, one or two days or even less. You know, if we build a platform, allow someone to configure it. So that's kind of what we said, that's what we're going to build. And that's what we're going to sell. And every decision we made from that point was to create that kind of like integrations in minutes kind of uh, vision. So that's kind of what we decided to build. Um, everything else was about to, you know, we had to create that product, design it, um, uh, between the two of us, Chris was more into, like, I would say, strategy and innovation. And I had more of the, you know, heads down software development, engineering and, and architecture kind of skill set. So between the two of us, we decided, hey, let's, let's create this MVP and we're going to see how we're going to test it out with a few clients that we had, you know, we can kind of get some warm introductions with and then see how it goes from there, evolve it a few times and then, you know, gradually kind of make it more openly available. So that's kind of how we started with that. I love that proper strategic approach at the beginning because I feel like sometimes new business owners or people wanting to found their own business get so excited. They go full steam ahead. That can come back and bite you further down the road. One thing you had mentioned earlier was funding. A lot of people creating startups have an issue around finding funding. What was your approach to finding uh, startup capital? Yeah, so we didn't go through, I would say, um, I don't say the traditional funding. We decided that um, with what we want to create with a company, you know, we started off with like the, the vision and kind of the mission, what we wanted to kind of drive that. And it was kind of like, hey, we're in it for a long time. What we know, it's going to be like build a company, keep it going, see where it goes versus, hey, we're going to build something, you know, very fast. Um and, you know, maybe at some point kind of think about an exit from it. So we found uh, what we call like a customer investor kind of approach where someone who they had both an interest in uh, what we were building and they had kind of a confidence in us 
to kind of go in there, manage their integrations, but knowing that we are going to be using our product. And, um, you know, at some point, it was kind of like an introduction to say, hey, we just need you to accomplish this for us. We trust you. You're building a product. We know that you're going to use it. And so for our success, we're going to invest in you. And so that's kind of how we started off with, you know, it's kind of like a managed services type of um, revenue. And then from that, we know at least half of that revenue we invested into the company in, in terms of resources. So, you know, while we're working on that, building our product, we also need some more people to help, you know, you know, for us being a, a tech kind of software company, we needed software developers, engineers. So we use that money to, um, to bring on or at the initially to kind of get some resources to help us build like, you know, that MVP. And then later on, you know, as we got a few customers on, we transitioned those to full-time employees, uh, two or three at the beginning to get more, um, get more momentum once we knew exactly where we wanted to go. So it was more, I would say self-funded, um, kind of a gradual growth. And I would say, uh, a quick ingestion of, of capital to, to do what we wanted to do. What was the ownership split when you had that ingestion of capital from the customer investor? Yeah. So between uh, the two of us, Chris and I still had like 50% each. The customer was just kind of, um, they didn't have any ownership of it. They just had the, the um, I would say the trust and the, the product being there. So it was almost like a, not say a dependency, but you know they believed in the need for, for the the product, and you can kind of think of it almost like a, a commitment. So you know one two year contracts of saying, hey, you know we need you to, to use your product to 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 do this stuff for us. Um, no ownership for for us, but you know we need you around. We did have a few instances. Um, fortunately, kind of COVID interfered with it, where um, when we kind of moved into some of the healthcare. Um, scenarios um, where that company was looking to and do an investment as well. Uh, um, and at that point, we were kind of negotiating a probably about a 40, 40 and 20 kind of um, uh, split of ownership. But for the most part, we're still 50-50 right now. When you initially built the company, you had a business plan, I'm sure. What was your approach to creating that business plan? And how did you structure it in a way that was achievable yet also stretched you at the same time? Yeah. So our business plan was, I would say a bit loose compared to what I would say, um, again, especially if we were going to seek funding, if we were seeking funding that, that business plan, uh, and that pitch would have to have been like really solid. Uh, we had, uh, again, ideas we had. Uh, so I would say the key points of what our plan was to say, you know, we're, we're building this product. Uh, we have some interested customers or, or, or people that we can reach out to explain and, and sell the idea again of, of it's a universal problem of saying it takes a long time to to create these integrations for a big company. And we're, we're promising to get it down to the point of much quicker. And that's what we kind of proved at the beginning to take things down from several months down to a, a week or a few days at that point, as well as to enable them to do things that they couldn't be before with like quickly replatforming their, their, um, their systems and such like that. So we were coming in with that use case using uh, kind of like our current network of um, uh, prospects. Uh, we also had, uh, commu- uh, I would say a relationship with a, 
a holding company that that they owned many uh, businesses in you know in in e-commerce and in uh, healthcare. So it was kind of like when we were successful with one, it was kind of a, an easy transition to another organization that had a similar challenge and say, hey, we want to bring you over in here too. So at that point, we were again just focusing on on those small kind of looking for some small wins, and then at some point make the name more um, recognizable. Go through the point of uh, you know. Branding. Uh, we actually just went through uh, a branding refresh this past year because um, some messaging updates that we want to do over the course of you know our time since 2017. So, yeah, I, I think uh, initially again it more ideas. We had uh, less, I would say, um, because of of us kind of owning the the money or you know not having to be accountable to. Someone else, we were a little bit looser on that. And as long as things were progressing as we needed to, you know, increasing revenue um, and acquiring customers and keeping them happy and kind of building up that way, uh, we continue on with that plan. That sounds like a much more stress-free approach. Do you have any other tips for people starting a business with how to do it in a way that's less stressful than the typical um funding rounds and having investors that are constantly breathing down your neck. Yeah. So we did a lot of engagement with our local startup community. Um, we were, even though we were, um, we were funding it ourselves, we still were, you know, receptive to, to meetings with other kind of incubators and accelerators. So we were members of actually two when we started. Um, at that point, it was like Hamilton Mill. They were kind of like a, a small... Uh, at that point, they were a little bit more of like a a place to physically keep people present. You know, hey, I'm building this this product that I have this service, and you have something that I might need, or I can provide something for you. So that kind of helped us to create those relationships. Um, but and also for what's currently called Alloy Dev, but they were also um, Hamilton County Business Development Center. Um, again, another kind of ecosystem of people who are building things and. Uh, at that point, there were a lot of mentorship that we were able to reach. So um, we were introduced to a few potential investors. Um, we had a, a few challenges with that again because we weren't really seeking them, and uh, you know there was a little bit of chance for them to actually understand what we were building. You know, it's a bit of a tough part there. But through mentorship, uh, they've helped us refine that message in case we wanted to go that route. So. You know, getting engaged with your community, finding out what options are available. Some advice that we got from mentors was, you know, if we don't need to get the the financing from, like, say, an angel investor, um, you know, again, because there's much more uh, procedure that needs to go with that. You know, reaching out to yeah. is tough, but like family, uh, you know, I would say acquaintances that have an interest in in you and, and your um and what you're building as well as the customer investment. That was probably the big one too, where they said, hey, find a good customer. Um, obviously there's a challenge if you're, you're kind of completely reliant on one customer's success, but finding someone who can kind of, if they believe in your product strong enough that they are willing to put an investment into you, whether it's having ownership or not, it really kind of again empowers you and, and it gives you that that ability to say, well, I have enough runway to to go this route, knowing that I have this kind of commitment from them, um, versus having to constantly worry about like, hey, uh, what's our burn rate, and how how are we tracking with this, and what do we need to do to you know to correct anything that looks like it's going it's trending the way we don't want it to. 
Describe your initial product offering. Yeah. So initially, um, we because it, it, sometimes it's tough to to price. I would say, well, let me kind of back up. Our, our product is built um, in something called like cloud native. So we don't really have a lot of infrastructure. It's very lean. So the the really value that we're getting or providing is is the code and how we've assembled things using infrastructure, you know, from Microsoft from from Amazon, you know, f- that support those supporting pieces in a way that um, we don't have to recover like say fixed costs a lot. It's like hey, as you know, it's more of a um, let's say a direct cost. You know, as as I get more customers, my the it goes up a little bit. So. You know, we definitely covered what we what we were expending on, like say, a consumption rates. Um, you know, was kind of a markup for what we built or, or what the value is being provided in addition to just the infrastructure pieces. Um, we also kind of initially priced things in the sense of um, capacity or, compa- or capability. So, in our sense, in our world, we were doing like virtual machines or instances of saying, "Hey, um, for you, you're going to get this cluster. It's going to cost this much per VM. Uh, one VM is going to be giving you this amount of capacity. Um, and that's kind of how, how those kind of went on. So we had since evolved that to be more, again, uh, to just a very basic pricing. You know, those VMs used to be, hey, a lot of back and forth with the customer. Like, what do you want to do? What, you know, this, this sales process and negotiation was... Uh, you know, several weeks sometimes. You know, just getting the right people to make the decision. We cut it down to say, at the very simple, at the very simplest way we can do it is just to just charge a a very small subscription fee, and then you get you get charged on usage. Have you found a lot more success with that? Yeah, it allows us to um, not have to work on that big hey that financial commitment. You know, that's one of the things we try to differentiate from from other businesses where they come in with a sales team and they have great products. Uh, but they have, they're looking for two year commitments that, you know, they're coming with a sales team that's going to spend two months at your site trying to evaluate, like, what do you need? And it's going to take resources from your company to, to give them the information for them to give you a price that's probably high. And then they're going to negotiate it down. And we aren't looking for, you know, this, obviously revenue is important for us to keep operating, but we aren't trying to, again, meet, um, goals or objectives that are kind of coming in outside of us. We're looking for sustainability for our company and growth. So we can kind of say, let's just keep it in, you know, more of a markup and, and what, what kind of matches what we want to do. So we were able to appeal both to, I would say, casually interested customers to say, I can try it out for 30 days for free. And even after that point is it's, you know, some people have a copy habit more expensive than um, our product. But then some of those bigger companies, when they when they get some time using it, it's like, all right, now I'm going to open up my consumption rate, and it'll get back into that same level of of revenue for us as those big long projects to get someone to to commit, go through these these um back and forth, even sometimes the legal work with uh, what we're providing when they when they're giving us that much money, they want a little bit few more guarantees, and we're trying to just go completely, you know, that SaaS model of okay. You're agreeing to these terms when you're you're using your product. Here's the pricing. Here's what you get. And uh, if you like it, sign up. If you don't like it, it's, it's a very easy to cancel. It's, it's easy easy to subscribe and easy to quit. It's kind of like how we want it to be, you know, low pressure. Yeah, no need to overcomplicate things. 
because even if in the near term you don't get the crazy numbers that some of the huge companies with sales teams do, down the road it'll pay off in spades. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Walk me through the different growth stages of Omniboom. Yeah. Excuse me. So when we first started, I, I kind of mentioned we were self-funded in the sense of, you know, we were doing consulting services. You know, it was like a commitment for, for Chris and I about 40 hours a week. And that revenue, we at least half went into the company, um, sometimes more for the sake of, of building and um, to paying for resources to build out our product. And so we were in this phase of like, hey, we're, we're funding this through, through, you know, extra money that we're getting from from these this managed services work. Uh, obviously, 40 hours a week is not a typical, um, I would say, business owner's work week. It's, you know, it's in the 80s and up. So we definitely had plenty of time to work on things ourselves for the company. Um, as we got in some of those first initial customers, you know, that investment from uh, the state of Indiana to say, hey, come in and, and do these things for us, um, as well as uh, a company in, in um, New York, you know, one of our first customers to say, hey, we want to use your product um, because of this situation. We That's when we hired on more people and we transitioned from, I would say, um, you know, using resources outside of our company to keeping it all internally. So that's probably our first milestone is when we started bringing in product revenue uh, through that. It was still kind of split and the majority was still on managed services uh, revenue, but that's the kind of trend we were looking for. Um, shortly after that, uh, we took on uh, that the healthcare client. Uh, again, they were um, different kind of products that we, or different kind of problem that we were solving, I would say, as far as the specifics or characteristics of it. Um, you know, Chris and I see integrations in general as like movement of data, you know, and, and manipulating in certain ways, but there are some things that are different, uh, you know, important characteristics between something moving data in handling it in e-commerce or retail versus in finance or in healthcare. So it was a little bit of a, a learning process for that, but you know, it was one of those where um, it was a new kind of channel or new area we can kind of get ourselves embedded in. And that was also the company that had an interest in, in like the investment in to us uh, as they were building a new product. So at that point we uh, you know hired on the marketing um a director of marketing and another kind of data scientist. So our team grew at that point. We transitioned away from um, like using um, third-party resources to to develop, and then from there on, we went into uh, we're about fifty-fifty with managed services and product revenue. After that, you know, with um, a few more clients. Uh, for some reason, we always bring on clients that are uh, a little bit leaping away from where we are. Uh, so, for instance, we went from retail to healthcare. And then we went from healthcare to retail, but internationally. So again, some new things we had to kind of uh, overcome challenges, things like that uh, behind this, I would say in the technical kind of things, like how we handle data for people that are outside of the US where we are based. What are some of the challenges of handling data for companies that are not US-based, being a US-based company yourself? It's primarily of where the data exists and where it stays. So, for, you know, with us being, um, our data centers are in the U.S., primarily in Ohio, Virginia, and um, probably in Texas, depending upon where which data center we're using from from Microsoft Azure or Amazon, the AWS. But, you know, when we were working with a company in, in New Zealand, it's like that data has to stay in 
at least in Australia. So it's at that point, we have to recreate a cluster over there and have to make sure that all of that data kind of stays in there. I think the term is kind of domicile, which is kind of, it's part of their regulations that they need. Um, additionally, as you know, some other kind of data privacy uh, guidelines or practices that are needed to say, hey, I need to know every, every data um, that's related to me or to my customer and I need the ability to kind of clear it out. Uh, we don't have too much of that uh, need in, in, the, in the U.S. as far as that yet. You know, we do kind of accommodate that, but it wasn't really brought up until we went international. Um, we also have some interest in, in the company at that time in um, U.K. So same kind of issue there where like, hey, your data center has to be in the EU uh, or somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, our product had to evolve a bit um, to to relocate quite easily without a lot of over, uh, I would say, infrastructure overhead. And that's kind of where the SOT and the SaaS model really helps us out. Um, where and so at the beginning, we we you know I, I mentioned at the beginning like cloud native you know kind of development, just really relying on what's out there, um, utilizing these services that these cloud providers provide, enabling you to say, hey, in that data center, in this country or in this region, I want to run these services and a few clicks or you know, running a few scripts, it's it's running and I don't have to spend a lot of time to deploy it and as well as um, undeploy it if you know that if things change. So that was uh something we invested in early on is to be very um, knowledgeable and well experienced with those providers as cloud providers for the sake of what we were trying to build um what you know typically that could be on on-premises data center or a physically you know managing your own bare metal servers what are the main obstacles when scaling a SaaS business yeah so um the obstacles that we kind of face um especially at early on is the customer interaction. So, you know, if we if we build a product that is just so intuitive that a customer doesn't need any assistance, uh, we're fine. But a lot of these initial uh, customers, especially with us being kind of new and not recognizable, they want a little bit of assistance. Um, whether it's something we occasionally, I would say, uh, provide for free just to kind of get them on, and, you know, as an enticement to to use a product, or if they say, "Hey, we need a lot of help." Um, we're going to pay for for time as well to help us on board. That's where it became a, a bit of a challenge. So you know, if if I'm trying to build something, or I have the resources that I'm building, and I need to also kind of accommodate someone who is, uh, you know, customers who are uh, think of more like your support team. Hey, you know, whether it's an issue with the product or it's just general questions, you know, those que- those um, requests kind of have to be handled properly to keep the customer experience. Um, good. So that was probably one of our, our main things is, is being prepared for that. Uh, what steps did you take to become prepared for that? So we, we did hire actually a, a customer success manager, um, mostly just to be prepared and, and kind of come up with strategies on how to do that. You know, if uh, our ideal situation is, is someone signs up and they never really have to interact with us, you know, and we can know that everything's good, but, um, there are questions that pop up and there are support tickets. So uh, he was in charge of, of creating a strategy of, uh, you know, keeping track on the requests coming in, finding things that are repetitive, you know, creating a knowledge base 
So, you know, kind of make it a little bit more self-service uh, with us being small and again, focus on building a product. Sometimes you, and, and this is my kind of characteristic being an engineer, I, I go forward, but sometimes, you know, and also my, my experience and my knowledge of the product in general, I don't really see, I would say, um, things that an occasional user or a new user will group. They don't have that um, historical knowledge. So someone like the customer success manager or, you know, a version of a product development, um, sorry, a product owner or a product manager is going to be in charge of like, hey, I know what you're building, but we need to do some polishing or refinement to it to kind of, you know, make the experience good for the customer. Um, when it isn't, how do we receive those requests and kind of like triage them for, for handling? And then as well as, you know, if when we when we scale and the, and the customers become, I'll say, if all of them at the same time kind of requested assistance, do we have the the bandwidth to do that? So, you know, not necessarily just the personnel, but the platform. You know, us being a tech company, we're always looking for tools. You know, if it's Zendesk or Jira or whatever, to help us manage that. And, and you know, at that point, it's it's a queue, it's a workload, and we can kind of. Uh, if needed, start looking at for more resources to handle that, or even so much as an occasional uh, resource to kind of handle, I would say, bursts of activity that need just to be um, you know, kind of addressed. You know, think of like e-commerce and things, activity bursting right around the holidays. You know, but it's pretty much uh, even or lower throughout the rest of the year just to handle those spikes. Where do you draw the line between? easy access to a knowledge base and easy access to a person behind a computer who can help answer questions? Yeah. So, um, as far as it goes, if it's, if we can kind of create something that is, uh, searchable, you know, uh, one of the, one of the visions or, or kind of really core values that we, we want is to make the customer be very self-sufficient and, and confident in using the product. So, our ideal situation is that they never have to reach out to us other than maybe a quick message in, in the products. You know, uh, I think a lot of products have it as well. I can click on the bottom right corner and say, Hey, I got a question about this thing where I'm at right now. And then, and that kind of get cues it up for someone to respond to it. And those are no problem. Um, but you know, there are instances where there's a lot more, uh, I would say involvement or setup, you know, those are like, I would say our bigger customers where they say, you know, I'm really trying to accomplish a lot of things. I'm, I'm coming from something that, uh, have a very robust solution of another product. And I'm trying to look into do the same thing on yours. At that point, uh, uh, we, we will usually engage with them and that might be a more of like a professional services, uh, type of, um, how would call it work. So, uh, you know, in our pricing model and, and what we offer, we have like that, that subscription based with the consumption or activity kind of, um, added onto your, what your, your charge. Uh, we also offer support, um, packages that say, Hey, just depending upon like, if you're like a, a very, um, those are mostly just rel relying or defining SLAs on how fast you want a response back. And then we also, include um, what we call kind of professional services packages, something we, we've, you know, used ourselves in some of our own infrastructure needs with like MongoDB or whatever um, to say, hey, I'm going to buy these blocks of time and you can do whatever you want. We can go through creating 
things for you in the product or we can go through training. But it, it usually just depends on what they need. We've had customers go in and they, they have requested time to for us to kind of give them a quick demo of it. And they actually kind of ran the demo themselves as, as they went in and, and used a product. So it just depends upon the user. Uh, we, we target, uh, we would say, the, the non-technical user or someone who's just, you know, someone who is trying to just accomplish something uh, quickly uh, versus having to go through a big process of building something out. Uh, but we also get those who are very technical and then they may just compare it to like how I built it or how we built it can kind of figure it out on their own. So it just usually depends upon uh, their needs. But typically as much as we can make them self-service, uh, either if it's by uh, researching or I'm sorry, access to knowledge base or even a question that's kind of like, I won't use a buzzword with AI kind of responses, but things that can kind of say, I, I know what you're trying to do. You may not have said it in exactly the same way that we've recorded it, but here's what I think you're trying to do and let them to go forward. When you were growing, what key items did you implement or strategies did you implement that really enhanced that growth? Yeah, I would probably say it's been the kind of understanding that that potential blocker or that um, point where, you know, new customers want kind of getting them onboarded quickly um, and, and investing in that knowledge base or getting them to, you know, refining the product to be as intuitive as possible. And that's kind of the main thing is like, we, we um, when we made the, I would say the self sign up process, um, initially our product was available through, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna contact you, uh, we're gonna schedule a demo, we're gonna have demo one, we're gonna show you the product and then we're gonna say, hey, let's do a, a follow-up demo and we're gonna talk about what you need and we're gonna try and build something together. And at that point we're gonna say, okay, it looks good. Let's talk about doing something real life for you. And so that was a lot of, uh, lead time to get someone to actually be a subscriber and eventually to become a paying customer. So um, we implemented that self sign up model to say you can kind of um, register yourself uh, just the same way as, as our, your normal SaaS products out there to say here here's my um, here's my email here's my payment method um, I'm going to give you 14 days to try it out for free and if it if it works out you're going to get charged if not you can cancel and you're fine. When we did that model, um, we were able to kind of get a lot more interest in the customers to say they don't want to go through that demo process. They want to just look at it. They want to tinker uh, with a few things and then give it give an assessment. And for that part, those were the kind of developer or I'm um, say people who were kind of like me in my previous jobs where I was looking for a tool to introduce to my organization where I didn't want to go through and talk to salespeople or see a demo. I want to go and figure it out on my own. And if I liked it, I'm going to present it to my, you know, my organization and my team, get some buy-in and then come back to it that way. So with that model, self-sign up and, and not relying on those demos, you know, we get about three kind of signups or interest a week versus before we were kind of going a customer a month, you know, initially. Well, that's a major difference. <laughs> When it comes to marketing your product, what avenues have you found to be most successful? Yeah, so um, we just we had some struggles at the beginning with trying to get um, you know to appear in in search engines, um, getting the right message. It seemed like a lot of redundancy. 
with what we were trying to say. And that's when we kind of hired on the marketing director to go through and thinking, let's, let's look at this message and, and let's, let's, let's make some, um, do the actions that we need to get things to appear in, in, in Google, you know, obviously that's a big one. Um, search engine optimization, things like that. And we had some ideas at the beginning of what we thought it was going to be like, you know, again, we're, um, I don't want to say arrogant developers, but we, we feel like we know it already um, versus kind of taking in assistance from someone else. But, you know, bringing in someone who had the idea or the vision or, the, um, you know, the the goal of, of working in the marketing kind of activities, uh, we, we made some changes to our, we rebranded the uh, our website multiple times and kind of just the messaging for thing, for keywords to appear. Uh, we started, um, uh, I would say creating content. So probably that's one of the main things is is creating content uh, in LinkedIn, um, any of the social sites. We know that there is, you know, um, some kind of best practices on how to keep like your, you know, your post, you know, getting that name recognizable. It takes a lot more effort than what we had thought at the beginning. We're like, hey, let's post it. Not really realizing what's going on behind the scenes like you're only seeing about five percent of all your your um most people connected to you and, and so that constant um work is needed um we worked on trying to get followers to our linkedin page um i get I mentioned blogs and creating videos even if they were just very small uh one minute kind of hey here's how we do something in 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 omniplexus which is our product or this is how we compare ourselves to another um, product or, you know, scenarios talking, those little kind of very short but frequent um, kind of content helps keep our, help increasing the numbers of our, our followers uh, on LinkedIn. I'm trying to get those who we think are, uh, I would say our ideal follower who's like, hey, if the content means something to them, they can introduce it to their organization or they can become a subscriber. So those are some of the things we did with the marketing. Um, we all, we don't, haven't done anything as far as I would say um, cold calling um, or anything, but um, Chris is much more networked than I am. Um, just his experience as lead, in the leadership roles and in various companies and especially in e-commerce. He's very good at like um, meeting people, you know, and, and kind of approaching them either through LinkedIn messaging or through a, a person. And so that's been a, 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 a a successful route to to meeting people and getting that that initial introduction. Say, hey, here's who we are. Um, can we have some time to explain what we're trying to do in, in that sense? But um, our recent activities have been more along the lines of pushing for get the Omniboom name out there. Uh, we rebranded our even our logo, our website, and um, and, and get that. In the, I'm sorry, and hire another marketing uh, SEO strategist to do that stuff for us and get to getting the push for people to just sign up on their own. What has your path to profitability looked like? Because most people, when they start a business, they're hoping to start netting some money, you know, a couple years in, but a SaaS model has a lot more potential for quick growth off the bat due to the low infrastructure needs. Yeah, for us, um, we had that period of time where we had both uh, streams of revenue from our managed services and our um, our uh, our product offering, and a lot of that, you know, a lot of the stuff that we were getting in as revenue was being reinvested, whether it was just 
more personnel. Um, nothing was really again adding to infrastructure, but it's more personnel, more services that we needed to work with. You know, things like um, uh, legal work. You know, in a sense for for creating some of these these managed service agreements or you know end user license agreements. Anything that we couldn't get, I would say, not say for free, but you know, um, discounted from from our startup community in, in those areas to say, hey, we got these interns from local college who were working with attorneys to help you with that. But um, so we had that period of, of, we were trying to just make sure that we were breaking even and having enough money to to reinvest, to bring in more resources. So we didn't really have, I would say, a quite a bit of a profit beyond our expenses. So when we got some more money, it was put into another resource. When we got even more money, we started expanding uh, to a different kind of service or an, another resource at that point. But at some point, um, you know, I think about two years into it, we're like, a, we kind of got stable with with how, how our resources were and we were kind of bringing in more customers using the product. Those were kind of bringing in, um, I would say probably about five ten thousand dollars 10000 uh, per customer per month. And so when we kind of covered our runway, I'm sorry, our, our burn rate for our, our our expenses, which was again primarily on labor costs, um, uh, we we yeah we that's where we kind of saw like the the profit on on the product. Um, we've kind of reduced our our revenue from our managed services. Um, we do know, and even from our our mentors that we've worked with and stuff, they say you're not going to get rid of that completely, not yet, until you feel completely confident with uh, how your product services is going. Um, so we've kind of evolved to make that just secondary or, um, and that's what I mentioned where we, we create those blocks of like pre-purchased time to, for integrations to still kind of make that as a product, then I would say a, an embedded resources or a contract work. But at that point, um, yeah, we're still in this point where when we get more, when we get more of revenue coming in, we're looking to write into, invest it into another resources and, you know, we have, um, we have kind of desires to increase our, our obviously engineering team uh, is one of my objectives, but you know, the marketing and sales team even further to like say, uh, everything's ready to go. Let's, let's really make these pushes for, for bringing people on, whether it's again, uh, pushing the self signups or, or kind of following different channels to get some interest. Uh, probably maybe some of the more, the larger, uh, customers, you know, ones that might be in the large, uh, I would say, corporations versus a small and medium, which is where we typically are right now. Going back to you and Chris, you both have unique skill sets that are different from each other. How have you two approached divvying up responsibilities inside of running this company? Yeah, so Chris, he is primarily in charge of strategy and innovation. Um, and I'm in charge of technology and product. And what that really means is I'm in charge of, you know, all of our internal technology, what we're using for our tool sets, you know, what, you know, if we're using Teams or Slack or if we're using this database or or another one, those are all kind of in my realm, as well as the product development. So I'm in charge of creating, you know, what we are selling in, in terms of here's the product, um, here's here's the the user interface, here's the things that are happening in the back end, here are the people who are building it. His role has been again on the strategy innovation of, hey, this is this is where we need to to steer 
the company. This is this is our long term goal. This is where we're going to see the the biggest return in, in what we're investing in right now. You know, he's um, he's. I've always kind of felt I was more of the optimist until I met Chris, and I feel like I'm more of the person who's more pessimistic. Be like, no, we can't do that, or it's not as easy as you think. But he is kind of like the the he, he kind of I would say identifies where we want to go and kind of really he, he doesn't force you to do it. He's not he he's a very warm and genuine person, so it's it's not like that kind of typical CEO where it's like. We must get this done, and this is where you're going to know what, what all means we need to do it. Again, it's more on the values and the company, the culture is the main thing for him. And we know we're, we're building something, we're bringing value to to those we interact with versus just trying to focus in on, on, on money. So, but he is encouraging and he kind of helps to direct where we want to go, knowing like, hey, here's the introduction to healthcare. We, we are completely new to that. Let's figure it out. And so that's what we, we do. Here's an introduction to, you know, state and local governments. You know, what does that mean? How do we do that? And how we figure that out? So we're constantly growing from his um, from his goals and what he directs us to go. And I'm more the person who's trying to kind of build the bridge underneath him as he walks. You mentioned state and local governments. What was the experience being a private business working with a national government entity yeah so in those cases we definitely have um things that we you know security is probably the main thing um you know they are making sure that we are vetted so we never really directly work with the state and government they have they have agencies and or i would say services that you kind of have to go through um you know vetting you out Uh, but in general those um it's a lot of different problems, and, and what we were fortunate to have um, with our time, or you know, we currently still are there with with the these same these I would say shared services uh, agencies, which are focusing on again integrations and, and being a technology provider for these agencies versus them going out independently on their own. Is our exposure to a lot of different uh, problems that we don't see, and problems meaning like challenges or things that they do that uh, I don't see in e-commerce, you know, issues or I would say movement of data and connectivity for, let's say, your your Bureau of Motor Vehicles or your Department of Motor Vehicles is going to be different than your Department of Health. And it's also going to be different than your Department of Workforce Development or your Personnel Department. Um, Again, we feel like that it's still a, a... a general or universal need of moving data, you know, connecting things, but they all have their different um, characteristics about it. And it's not so much as I can say it's just state uh, or local government. It is DMV or BMB or it's SPD or or those departments. And um, I would say a lot of times when we've worked with them, Depending upon which rich group, some some of those agencies have a lot of personnel and a very you know big IT department or people who have that technical um, technical knowledge, and there are some that really don't, and they completely rely on us to assist with you know providing guidance and um, you know as well as doing you know the work of, of what they need to you know keep the their connectivity and, and their the data flowing among all their systems. So it's a it's a that. Our exposure to that, you know, that shared service has been nice for us because 
So again, it evolves our product. It gives us a little bit more of a an understanding of how things work beyond just you know you know in our e-commerce world of order, shipments, tracking, customer, all those kind of you know, nouns and verbs into something that's more universal. And it also helps us to become more <clears throat> uh, aware of of being flexible to things that we don't know. You guys have touched on so many different industries with Omniboom um, and your growth over the past five, six years. Over those five to six years, what are a couple items you would repeat and what are some things you would avoid completely? Um, so some of our customers' engagements, uh, let me see, I'll go with what, what some things we want to avoid. Um, starting off, um, we, we were fortunate to have like an, an initial kind of customer investment in that, you know, hey, a commitment to, to funding us for, you know, two years and hey, let's build, you can use our product at some point. Um, that was great. As we were kind of acquiring new customers, um, it, there's this desire to be very accommodating to the customer, uh, you know, and, but some of these, some engagements were a bit, they were beyond what we would, I would say, deem we could be successful. You know, um, healthcare would, would have been borderline on that, but let's say, if we didn't feel like our product was going to be really successful in there, um, we saw this this a tendency to say, "Hey, we're going to figure it out. We're going to go through." And that took a lot of time and effort, and and sometimes it kind of paused our development of our platform. So, for instance, um, an example could be, "Roof, our uh, use healthcare." Even though that I think that was still kind of a good thing. Healthcare was something completely brand new to us. We were had an e-commerce um, background, and we had our our platform and our connections in the industry were with e-commerce and, and retail. And then we were introduced with this healthcare, with all these compliance uh, and regulations that had that goes with it. But we really want to get into that area, and so we kind of deviated from our initial, I would say, plan or objectives to say, hey, let's we we. Uh, when we started off with, we say, we're going to connect your web store to your warehouse very quickly. But now we're talking about, you know, getting uh, ventilator data to your EHR and merging it into this UI um, using, um, I would say, technology that we hadn't built yet. So we had to build that to kind of work with that healthcare company. All that time with our, our limited resources, that wasn't spent on, I would say, kind of evolving our platform that was serving e-commerce. Um, that was, you know, it was uh, an opportunity, but at, at some point, um, uh, the, the COVID, um, the shutdown kind of affected that, you know, that, that healthcare company kind of re, re uh, prioritized to, you know, building ventilators versus this new product. And we went back into trying to get back into, um, e-commerce world. So it kind of, I would say took time away from what we want to, to do as far as building our current product. Still feel like it was a good experience with, you know, again, anything that we can be exposed to helps the product itself. But if we were, if we had a focus or, or say we had an outside investor and th at that point, that would have probably been a problem for them to say, hey, you lost all this time or you really need to be focused on, on this, you know, the initial mission until that is successful. And so in, in retrospective and even with, with speaking with some of our, mentors you know recently 
they say to be really successful in, in that very specific, uh, you know, your niche or, or whatever, what you're trying to do, be very successful in that. And um, I don't say ignore, but, you know, uh, at some point defer or, you know, kind of hold off on deviating from your initial kind of goal and trying those new opportunities, um, no matter how t enticing they are, just for the sake of being strong in one and then eventually strong in one, navigate to another one when you already have one area already kind of um, under control. Were there any key actions in those five, six years of growth since you started that you would repeat? Yeah. Um, ooh, I, I mean, it's kind of tough because I feel like with us still kind of continuing on, we, we are still repeating those. Um, we still are focused on the benefit of, of what we're trying to do for the customer. Um, I would say, oh, yeah, that's a tough one. So, uh, yeah, um, we still like the model of, of keeping the pricing as simple as possible. Um, you know, just saying, hey, this is what it is. There's no need to to have your people talk to our people. It's like, and it's been very welcomed by, you know, when we, we present it. It's almost to the point where uh, they're in disbelief that it's that simple. And so that's the kind of uh, relationship we want to have with the customers is to say, hey, they know what they're getting. They're, uh, they, they believe in, in you know, us being genuine. Um, the other thing is also being access to what we call like the founders or, or the, the leadership of, of the company. We know that compared to, let's say, a, a bigger company like Salesforce or um, Microsoft, you're going to go through many different layers. They're just too huge. But a smaller company like us, you can kick off an email or you can or, or get a response from someone and in a leadership role, you know, Chris, myself or um, someone else versus, hey, you have to go through this um, point of contact or whatever. And it, it's a little bit more of them understanding that we have uh, an investment into the success of their project more so than just, hey, you're a customer and you are an account to us and this is the person who handles accounts and we only come in there if things are going uh, very badly. So, but I think continuing on that approachability is important for us and just being again, genuine with the customers. And that's, you know, whether that translated to, I'd say financial growth, that's really kind of contributed to us being, um, having great partners with our customers. Through this entire journey of leaving the comfort of a nine to five where you've got a steady paycheck coming in to going out and being a hunter gatherer, fending on your own. What would you say has been the biggest lesson you've learned so far? Yeah. So um, with my background being, you know, software developer, software architect, solutions architect, I've been more focused on building or being project or task oriented. I never really had to, I would say in, in essence, sell myself or the company or the vision that we're trying to do. And that's been something I've had to kind of develop. You know, when Chris and I started, I was like, hey, this is perfect. You are great at being, you know, speaking with people. Uh, you can you can talk with, with people about anything and kind of in directed towards, you know, hey, this is how we can help you. And I don't have to do any of that. But that was not the case, you know, being a founder, you you have that responsibility for the success of the company. So I had to really 
put into words of, of what we're trying to do, um, you know, the vision uh, and being able to speak that many times over, not necessarily to customers, but just, you know, other, uh, other, I would say companies, you know, that we could be partnering with, you know, what, what do you do? It's like, well, I know, I know initially I know what we do or how we do it, but you know, you know why we're doing it. What's the, what's the goal? What's the, the main benefit and, and what we're going to kind of, um, sell ourselves with as being that provider for what we're building. So that's probably been the, the biggest growth I've had to take just being my nature of, you know, you know, being an introvert, being very, um, fine with the, um, low social interaction, but, you know, I've had to build up that confidence to, to, to engage with a, a customer and not know where, where it's going to go. And, and to say, Hey, um, what's your, what are your problems and uh, how do we think we can help you? Or if not, do we have someone we can kind of uh, refer you to that can help you? In hindsight, would you do this all again? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've always had, I've always had that interest into, um, um, uh, Having a company again with the the, um, the idea of creating a, a mobile app and you know some there were some success stories with that but uh, there's uh, even though it's a lot of work you know it's more again than just that that you know I would say forty hour a week or fifty hour a week whatever it is now and having a little bit of safety and comfort um, being able to build something that you own. And kind of feeling like you are responsible for its success, you know, as much as you can control, uh, is it doesn't really make it feel like it's it's extra work. It's more of a, I'll say a lifestyle, but it's just part of my life to 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 think about this. And it 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 isn't draining, you know. If, uh, you know, things could go bad, obviously, but it isn't really draining on me to to do that. And you know, I have a great partner. You know, that probably. Something that really helps too. Um, some people probably have the ability to to come up with a vision on their own and, and be a force themselves to to build it. Um, for me, having that partner is probably the the, the thing that helped the most. Of saying, "Hey, we're in it together. We have some kind of um, complementary skills and, and and traits that we feel like this is going to be successful." And I don't have to worry about doing everything. I can do my piece and eventually grow into uh, what I need to be. Uh, as a whole to, to be, um, you know, a complete uh, founder. Wise words. Do it together with someone. Build yeah. something together and help yeah. lift each other up and also help approach from each angle with the gifts that you have. Because I'm sure there's a lot Chris can do that you can't do. And I'm sure there's a lot that you can do that Chris can't do. And together, you're just a lot more effective. Yep, exactly. Awesome. Richie, thank you so much for joining for today's episode. I know. I appreciate it. Thanks, Andrew. If you found value in today's episode, please leave us a good review and share this with other business builders to help them in their journey. Until next time.